Hey gang, Angus here. Just a quick heads up before this episode with the amazing Dr. Dan Sullivan as well. There are some audio issues at different parts throughout this episode where it gets a little echoey. We've worked as hard as we possibly can over these past couple of weeks to clear up that as well. Now it's certainly listenable and I really, really want you to listen to this episode because Dan delivers some absolute gems when it comes to this concept of the science of selling wellness particularly with regards to how do we get our message through to somebody so they actually take some actions. Now, Dan shared uh, some tips and strategies that I've literally never heard before, and he's had me diving down a rabbit hole where I'm learning all about the psychology of the brain, the primal brain, all those kind of things, and I really love what he had to say. So please persevere through it. The content inside of here you're going to love. Enjoy the episode. Despite what has been told, our primal brain still is the decision maker. Our neocortex or the, the cortex is the influencer. It influences those decisions, but the primal brain is the decision maker. Therefore, in order to persuade somebody to do something, whether you're trying to promote a message, uh, influence somebody in a positive manner or negative for that matter, or get them to, to buy something, sell them, we must speak to the decision maker. Welcome to the Marketing Your Practice podcast, where we guide natural health and wellness experts through the pitfalls of marketing. Each episode, you'll learn simple, effective, easily actionable, and heart-centered marketing strategies. And here's your host, Angus Pike. Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, gang. Welcome to the Marketing Your Practice podcast. Today's guest, Dr. Dan Sullivan. Now, Dan is a doctor of chiropractic. He's an international speaker. He's an author. He's a professor. He's a husband and a father of three. So he's also super busy. Now, Dan, after graduating chiropractic college in 2004, he built one of the largest practices in the world. Now, Dan's passion right now is all about educating patients and physicians. And he travels the world at the moment. He talks about neurology and the latest advances in natural healthcare. But Dan is here with us today to talk all about the science of selling wellness. So Dan, welcome to the show. It's my honor, Dr. Angus. I, I, I've been uh, honored to be here and kind of waiting for a call from you because I, I, uh, I see you from the outside. I love everything you do and uh, just really excited about being here with you. Well, I've got to tell you, I was, I've been awake since early this morning and I think my wife is excited, as excited about this chat as I am because she said, who's you got on the show this morning? And I said, I've got Dan Sullivan on there and we've got your posters in our practice and stuff like that too. So she's excited that I'm chatting with you as well. I think that's a good thing. I'm not sure, but I think that's a good thing also. So, um, hey, listen, Dan, for the people, you know, we've got listeners around the world. So chiropractors and naturopaths and Chinese med practitioners, you name it from there too. Now, some of those, I'm sure only a really small percentage, won't be aware of the great work that you've done. Can you perhaps catch them up to speed with a bit of your background story? And then we'll dive into this concept of the science of selling wellness. Yeah, I, I, you know, after doing kind of a lot of these podcasts and obviously speaking quite a bit uh, around on different platforms, I, I think I'll cut to the chase of what to me matters most. So my background, I come from a medical family. My two oldest brothers are medical doctors. My mom's been a nurse for 37 years. I grew up, I'm a fifth of eight kids. Uh, and I, I had no reason to go down a natural path outside of when I was 16 years old, I got injured. I was a big, we were a big athlete family, I had a big sports family. And so um, I, we went to, down the path that most go on in the conventional medical care and uh, nothing, nothing. And, and everybody was saying, you know, it's this or that or this or that. And finally, uh, they told my mom, it's all in my head. And my mom disagreed with that pretty strongly. And then our, our family dentist said, you should try a chiropractor. 
And we didn't know what that was. And so, uh, but at the same time, we're kind of at wit's end. My mom said, let's, let's go see what, what happens. And, and uh, kind of the rest is history. There's a lot in there, but I think the only thing that would be most important for a listener from my perspective is that I, I, you know, no matter where you come from, what background you're, you're from, we all have a story. And my story is once I heard about natural health, particularly as it relates to principled living and, and, and principled way of looking, a philosophical lens to look at health and, and through a different lens. Once I, once I you know, did, heard that for the first time, let alone followed up and found people. And my first instinct was, this is crazy. These guys are lunatics and this is off the wall. But then when I dive in and really see, wow, these guys are actually kind of put together and what they're saying makes sense. I put two feet first and I just dove in. And so uh, that was all in, in, in chiropractic college. And I came out on fire and just um, wanting to tell the world about something that's so relevant to every, each and every one of us. And that is, man, we've got health and it's the single greatest, most important physical asset we have on earth, yet very few people understand it. And so I've made it my life work now because I came from that background really. I didn't know it. How many, and, and I was going into natural health and I didn't know it. So mm-hmm. how many people out there, how could we expect the public to know it? who have no other, you know, vested interest outside of, hey, I want to feel good. So I say all that to say that's been my background. And um, I uh, have a look at people always ask you, so what's your, you know, what's, what's Christmas dinner like at your house with the, you know, all the medical and it. So I said, we kind of choose not to talk about uh, all things health. And uh, still, I, I could say, uh, it's not that I've changed their mind, if you will. They're my older, my older brothers and kind of that model, if anybody can relate. They say if they if they changed your dirty diapers, chances are they're not really going to listen to you. And so, uh, so anyway, that, that's kind of a, a brief little history to me. And now in the last, you know, I came out fired up, uh, built a big practice and, um, and then saw some things happen in schools and some other areas of over here in the States. And I thought, I can't help but go down this path of science and neurology and back up what I'm saying with very clear evidence. And so that's led me to right here, kind of what we're going to talk about today, which is uh, now we know this big message and we know the need for it in our society and our culture. How do we get it to more people? So, mm-hmm. you, you, you seem to have built a bridge that, because often when we think of practitioners, and in particular practitioners who've built big practices, is that, you know, that's all that philosophy stuff. There's no science to it. Those guys are making stuff up as well. And yet here you've done this beautiful job at building the bridge between you know, real everyday practice and the science that supports us. And I know there are so many practitioners out there that, you know, you've got their back with this kind of stuff there too. So, you know, you kind of touched on it there. What, what was it that had you really, one, start to investigate and two, fall in love with this whole concept of the, you know, the science that supports us as practitioners? Well, I honestly saw so many, and this this happened. So I was in practice. I, we had just we just hit a, 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 a numbers were big here here in the group that I was running with. I've just hit a, a milestone mark of hitting a thousand patient visits in one week, and we had just hit that number that month. And I was doing a speaking engagement in a school, and so I went to the school, and I was kind of just sharing testimonies and what we've been doing and how we've been doing it, and amazing results we're seeing. And a lot of the students at the time they would come up to me and ask me questions that were so far away, essentially, does what you're doing have any evidence? Do you, uh, is it real? Is it uh, viable? Is it something? And, and so it kind of took me aback a little bit. I, I remember those conversations in school, but then having four or five years out of school, I, I had kind of forgot those because you're just so head down and in the, in the patient world. But it, it, it caused me to say, wow, if I'm really about changing 
a culture, I can't just be so confined to my office. And one of the first questions that we get in the marketplace is, do all of your, does all of your industry subscribe to this model of care? And so I had to then lead with what is today's language, which is science, whether we like it or not. You may be saying, well, I, I'm, I don't care about the science or research. That's fine. But the people do and the, the powers that be require it to some level. So I wasn't going to let the fact that we don't have any science, you hear a lot in, in the natural health space that there's no science. You don't have any randomized controlled trials to, to, to back up your perspective or, or, or your care. And that's just, that's just not true. Mm. And uh, the, the truth of the matter is we have to define what they would accept as evidence and then ultimately be able to meet them where they're at and show them that, that we have just as much, if not more, evidence as the people that they subscribe to as the leaders in cultural accepted healthcare. So, yeah, and, and make no mistake about it, if you look back to my history and my story, obviously part of my story is I'm secretly tr still trying to prove this to my own family, if you will, right? Like, like we all know our story, and I beat this up enough and, and realized I'm, I'm still trying to prove this. I, I need to take this home. I'm not going to let anybody in from the, from the sense of you don't have evidence. And it's like, you know, we have plenty of evidence. We have a philosophy that goes with it, but I'm not going to let somebody justify our, um, you know, lack of evidence as a reason why people shouldn't get and deserve our care. Yeah, I love it. And this has kind of then transitioned into now. We, we started talking about it before we hit the record button. And so I had to stop because I've got so many great questions. Into this concept now of not just the science that supports chiropractic, but the science of selling wellness or this concept in around that. And you've been studying, uh, you know, a lot recently, you know, the influence literature as, as well. And we're going to talk about that today as well. So Tell me a little bit about that journey. Let's jump into this concept of what is the science of selling wellness? Why is it important? What are the steps? Well, let's start from let's start from the beginning here, Angus. Here's here's the thing that's uh, you know now having been kind of down this path for fifteen years, there's certain things, and you can relate. Like I, we all can relate that there's people that we've come across, and we're and, and you sit there and you're like, wow, some of the things they're saying is not even like fully accurate. But they have large, like you just said, like they have these large practices. They're influencing a lot of people. And then you have these other people that you think are, they are very eloquent in the way they say things and the way they understand it, but they don't have the impact that we see others have. And now I'm telling you right now, I, I can, I can, with my background in neurology and now understanding the brain, I've dove deep down and realizing, ah, I see. So here's the, here's kind of the, let me start off with the, the framework. The framework is this, you know, everybody kind of understands there's, there used to kind of be three, let's just break it into two brains. We have this primal brain, which is kind of the survival brain, the, you know, the reptilian brain, this brain that's been there in a long time. It's our survival, right? It's like quick to, quick to react and it, you know, helps us survive, right? Whether we're seeing a snake or a bear or a shark. But at the same time, there's this neocortex, which is more of an evolved, like, like since we live in a society where we can think about things and rationalize, here's the kicker. We have been led to believe, and a lot of scientists really up until the last 20 years thought that we make decisions clearly based on a rational brain. Mm -hmm. But we know there was a Nobel Prize winner in 2002 named Daniel Kahneman. He came out and he said, Despite what has been told, our primal brain still is the decision maker. Our neocortex or the, the cortex is the influencer. It influences those decisions 
but the primal brain is the decision maker. Therefore, in order to persuade somebody to do something, whether you're trying to promote a message, uh, influence somebody in a positive manner or negative for that matter, or get them to, to, to buy something, sell them, we must speak to the decision maker. Well, it turns out there's good ways and there's not so good ways to speak to the decision maker and rationalizing our point of view with words is not the greatest way. In fact, it's one of the worst ways we can do to try to influence their, their primal decision-making brain. So that leads us to say, like, we're not gonna, we're not gonna talk to somebody with better communication or better words. Mm. Now, how we say those words and what we use to deliver those words becomes important. That's what we can dive into here. But the first and foremost thing being, we gotta talk to the primal brain. That's the decision-maker. So there's ways to do that. If you're trying to sell your care, which we all are, we're trying to sell our stuff every day. Whether it be just a, uh, on this, on this, on this, you know, podcast. I'm literally trying to persuade you to be a certain way as you are. And so every time we open our mouths, we essentially wake up in the morning. We're trying to persuade somebody to do something that we want them to do, and there's better ways to do that. Yeah, I think I, I want to kind of double click on a moment here and just <clears throat> stop with our audience because. So many of you are listening now, we end up in natural healthcare because most of us are big heart people. And then we talk about the concepts of persuasion and the influence, and many of us kind of jolt back a little bit. Um, and, and I want to differentiate here and perhaps just talk with, with Dan about this too. There's a difference, I believe, between um, influence and manipulation. This is my kind of story in around it too. I, when I think about influence, and certainly the, the, the conversation that Dan and I are going to be having today, is really all about helping you to have your audience have a, a, an outcome that's better for them than it is for you. Like I think when somebody comes into my practice and pays me 60 bucks for my adjustment, they get way more than $60 worth of value from it. So I, f I feel like it's a bargain for them as well. I feel manipulation is about trying to get somebody to do something that ultimately might be better for me than it is for them as well. Now, you know, the, uh, the old story around, you know, uh, the, the pen can write a love letter or it can write a hate letter as well. So we're hoping that the stuff we're going to talk about today, you know, and the power of it too, you can use either way. That's completely up to you. If you're wanting to help shift someone's health paradigm, if you're wanting to get a result from they've never been able to get before, then we're hoping that you use it that way too. But, you know, there's, you know, along with this, there's a responsibility that comes too. So any thoughts around that, Dan? Oh, I couldn't have said it better. You're right. It's just like money, right? Money uh, is, a, is an amplifier of what you already are. I call it the condition of the heart, right? And, and I would argue, I mean, somebody that's in the natural health space, like you said, uh, we, we all have this servant heart. I, I, I haven't, I mean, not all, there are a few outliers, but most of us got into this. It, it's like such a rogue thing to do. We wouldn't stay in it if it, if it meant, if it didn't mean we had a heart to serve people amongst the fact that a lot of times it's, it's a countercultural message. And so I just, I, I, I know a lot of your, or you're nodding your head up and down, yes, because I know your heart. I, I, again, I travel every weekend. I mean, I said, last weekend I was in Pennsylvania. I thought to myself, Man, I, just, I just love chiropractors. I love natural, uh, natural uh, practitioners. There's just something about it, and it's their heart. And so, but to your point, right, fire can, you know, be an amazing thing, and it could, it could uh, you know, it could be a horrible thing. It could keep you warm, or it could burn down your house. Uh, you know, gravity could cause you to fall to your death, or it could keep you on the ground. Like, everything has its place, right? So, uh, we have to, like you said, realize what it is, because these, definitely these, these strategies uh, could be manipulative. There are certain people that have used them that way, but um, we want you, obviously, to, to be, and, I, and I, I have no doubt about it, that, uh, but at the same time, there are people using some of these strategies to do a, a thing that don't serve people. So, there you have it, you know. You're, you're, yeah. 
So let's dive into what are some of the common factors that great communicators, that people who are able to lead others and you know get them moving forwards, what are some of the characteristics that these people all have in common? Well, let me, I'm, I'm gonna, uh, let me start with an overarching one here. And I, this is the thing that I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm talking my own head here because I'm like, this is the biggest probably thing that I, that's come across lately is you meet people that have energy, right? You meet people that have um, passion. It doesn't mean rah-rah. Sometimes you hear me speak, I, I, I get fired up sometimes and I, it's hard for me to, but it's, but it's authentic. It comes out of me like I just can't help but think we can influence people with their health. The greatest single, like I've got three girls. There's, certain, there's something about being a dad where you just, if something goes down or they, have, they aren't feeling good, you just, you put everything else aside. It just tells us that, you know, when it comes to money and, and health, like there's certain things we would spend or nothing can outweigh that. And my point in that is, it is, it's such an important thing that we get to influence people uniquely. So first off, we have this unique thing and I can't help but get fired up about it because also there's a lot of deception out there. And, um, and there's this, this wrong, what I would say, this inaccurate view of what health is. And unfortunately, that's the predominant view. And so I say that because when I've come across people that have been passionate about their message, there's, there's a draw to that. What it shows us is actually the primal brain, when there's, a, when there's an, a, an energy exchange, when somebody is authentically passionate about their message and somewhat of an evangelist about their message, that actually speaks directly to the primal brain. And for a while there, I used to thought, you know, what? I kind of fought it. I, I kind of thought, you know, some people say, wow, we don't need to get fired up about it. Listen, it is what it is. And I don't, I don't doubt that. Like it, it, the message and the, the care, whether you're a naturopath or chiropractor, a, a dentist, wherever you're, your care is worth it, is valuable on itself. But we have to be able to communicate the value, the perceived value. And they are going to have to receive that from us through communication. So first and foremost, your passion behind it, your authentic passion, everybody's different in how you're going to express that. Mm-hmm. I, can, I cannot stress enough how, how that must come out first and foremost. It is a trust mechanism. It allows for you to go right to that primal brain. And now, I, again, I meet on the bones to explain why. Now I'm, not, now I'm going to save the neurology of it. But the point is, is if you can't get passionate about it, or somebody said, well, you don't need to be passionate about it, listen, be you. But if you aren't passionate, that message isn't passionate, doesn't, then, then I would just uh, first challenge you to say, well, it's okay. It's, I'm going to give you permission to be passionate in your own way. You need to uh, individually uh, to, to be able to express that when you're explaining what you do or you're on, you know, doing a talk or in a one-on-one report of findings or day one or some sort of marketing strategy. So that, uh, that would be the first and foremost uh, I, I would start with there. So I don't know if you have any feedback on that. Yeah, a, a couple of weeks ago I had uh, Cynthia Bokara on the, on the show and she was talking about how authenticity comes through even in our posture that if we're not connected with what's going on, the way we communicate, because so much of, of how we're communicating is not the words that we're saying. So, we, you know, when I hear you talk about authentic passion, you know, for some people that's naturally this really big bravado and you do such a beautiful job of doing that. And then others go back and this, you know, if you ever listen to someone like Brene Brown, you know, when she communicates as well, she's not raising her voice. She's not kind of, you know, yelling around the stage, but man, is she authentic? And it, it is engaging in the way that she communicates as well. So how do we find that authenticity? If it's been kind of shut down and there's fear and everything about it there too, how do we go about developing and finding that inner voice? 
Well, I, I'm going to get to that. I'm going to, I'm going to actually shine some light on that because you, you bring up a question that I'm going to talk about this loss aversion principle. It's a cognitive bias that I think I'm going to shine light on where I believe you can get your passion from. And I think that I met her and, and coach a lot of docs and more of it's in there. Like I, I believe your passion's in there. It just needs to be, it needs to come out and, and it needs to you need to figure out what, what is the thing that brings you alive? What, what makes you have a little bit of fire and passion and, and, and not that you got to act like me or Angus or somebody else that you know respect. You have to act like you, but, but for some reason there's, there's something inside you that, that, that drives you and you, you would just express it if you felt like you could or you could uncover it. So let me, let me, before I get there, I want to play along with me here and this is, we didn't, we did not rehearse this, right, Angus, but um, I'm going to show you. So we'll see if you can get this right or, or I'll ask this question just to kind of show the primal versus rational brain. So, Question for you. There's a bat you bought, you go to the store and you buy a bat and a ball. Mm -hmm. Together, they cost a dollar and 10 cents. The bat costs $1 more than the ball. How much do each of them cost? Uh, well, the bat costs a uh, dollar and the ball costs 10 cents. So, that's, so let's think about that. No, you're right there. The bat costs a dollar five, and the and the ball is five cents. Exactly. So, so you caught good job. Your rational brain. Most people would not think about your rational brain kicked in. Your primal brain was immediately. Immediately, your head goes to. And some of you are listening. They're like, wait, wait, wait. That doesn't make sense. But our rational brains, our, our primal brain said, if it's a dollar ten, then it's ten cents. And, but if you think about it, there, like you said, if it's a dollar more, the ball has to be five cents, and a dollar more would be a dollar five. So you caught it. Good job. But the primal brain, it's one of, it, uh, one of the things that the guys to these page that have created some of this model and, and really have drawn me in. I've trained with these guys, and, and they use these little examples to show when people make a decision. So they're coming into your practice, right? And you may be, again, a natural path, a chiropractor or some sort of natural health provider. They're coming to your practice. We think that we can rationalize them into the care. And I've been guilty of this for so long. And, it, and, and some of it served me because when I explain things, I end up getting a little fired up. But I realized the actual, the actual process of me explaining it was more important than the actual explanation. Yes. From my passion to come through, they saw, wow, if he said this and that. So, so first and foremost, again, it's being able to, I'm just kind of driving home that primal brain is the decision maker. So if you want to sell more, if you want to have more influence, if you want to make your, get your message across to more people, we've got to reach that primal brain. So one of the first things, and we get to cognitive, uh, the loss of version is number two. Number one, how would we get to the rational brain? So, so I'm going to put this in a wheelbarrow, or sorry, the primal brain. Let, let me put this in a wheelbarrow. Number one, you must use images. The optic nerve goes directly to the primal brain. And so that optic nerve, in fact, it showed that the primal brain will respond to a threat via sight in 13 milliseconds. But it takes the, the rational brain 500 milliseconds, so it's actually 40 times slower than the primal brain. So our sight will actually get us to believe something 40 times quicker and more powerful because it goes to the primal brain. So, so, you know, us in the chiropractic space, this is why scans, images of, of scans, uh, x-rays, even like, if you're going to, if you, you know, and I always say this when I'm, when I'm speaking at some of the resources that I put out, is we all do range of motion, 
So do range of motion, but write it down if at the very least you don't have a computer system that prints it out, something that would make it see, and then eventually you're gonna do something down the road that's gonna be a post-measurement or, or a read that's gonna show them some examples. So the point is, is images, uh, posters, but, but when it comes to images like their finding, their objective findings becomes a very important part that actually builds belief, not just, hey, I'm giving you these recommendations in this care plan because it's my, you know, perspective. No, it's based on your findings that we can see. So the optic nerve kind of like the night. Got it. And this might be the reason that, you know, so many chiropractors out there certainly are doing posture checks as well. So if you're doing a posture check and you're not doing it in front of the mirror, then we're missing out on something. Because if you're just telling somebody, hey man, your right shoulder's up high, your head's forwards. If they can't see it, then you know that that makes sense of that aha moment that that happens um you know when somebody can actually see what's going on and we, we've just started recently actually taking photographs as well and you know there's loads of great apps out there that kind of help with that just to kind of start to lay it that makes sense in terms of why that has such a an, an impact as well yeah it's huge and you're exactly right being able to show them whether it be posture pictures whether it be a mirror in front of them uh, and then writing it down and showing them because you can revisit that. Another thing, and this is actually, um, I was just kind of uh, looking at the names of these two people, um, Hazelton and Nettle, that was their name. So not that it matters, but I, I like to always reference who, who I'm talking about. But Hazelton and Nettle, what they did is they, they coined this term, they were psychologists, and they, they coined this term paranoid optimism. This is so huge for a natural health practitioner. Huge, huge, huge. It's called paranoid optimism. What it means is this, is that we as human beings, based on our rational brain, we have a optimism, and it's, and it's a false optimism, but it's an optimism that if there's something inside our body, we have a false optimism that it's, that it's not a big deal, meaning that it's not necessarily that harmful to us. But when it comes to an external factor, it's so easy for us to actually have a very concerning or more pessimistic view. So for example, uh, if, if you had uh, you know, somebody talk about a bear attack or a shark infested waters or some sort of outside snake you know, bite or even like a virus or a bacteria, we have such a concern for that. But if it's inside our body, particularly if we can't see it, we have a, we have a paranoid optimism that basically says, I don't believe it's there and I don't think it's very harmful to me. So this is where, again, you're going to nod your head if you're a natural health practitioner or a chiropractor, you say, you realize people come in with a delusion, a delusion in their mind that they think that they can do nothing and it's going to go away or it's not going to get worse. It's like a, if you're a personal trainer, a lot of people, trainers, they'll say this, people come in, they think that they can not work out and not change their diet. For some reason, they're not going to put on more weight and they're going to start losing. It's, it's this, this, this weird delusion that we have. And, uh, and it's more of a protective mechanism, right? Our prime brain is trying to protect us to say it's not that bad. Mm. So the disadvantage we have is that they're optimistic. The challenge then is we have to actually make sure we can utilize and leverage these primal brain strategies to actually get them to understand they do need to do something about it. And this to me, when it comes back to the second, you know, one images, number two is, we must use this loss aversion cognitive bias to our advantage. Yeah. And I know that you've heard of this loss aversion, Angus, you probably, you know, you know what I'm talking about. We are, at, I'm going to put some very uh, numbers on it. We are 2.3 times more likely to do something to avoid a loss or loss aversion, avert a loss, than we are to seek a gain. Mm. 
So the, so the research again, the psychologists showed that, that it would require, so the action that you would take to avoid losing a dollar, it would require you to gain $2.30 or more to do the same action. So what does this do for us? What does this tell us? That it, it's the, it's, and Tony Robbins talks about this, you know, we're more likely to you know, get rid of a, 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 avert a pain than to seek a pleasure. But here's where I run into, and I'm going to tell you this very practically as chiropractors. I, I, I and, and now we're dealing with a lot of functional medical doctors or functional medicine doctors. I, I coach and mentor a lot of them as well. And, and they have the same thing. They just have different findings. They're looking for different findings than, than say, a chiropractor. But mm. here's, here's the kicker. I find so many of them. And, and it's, it, it's kind of common in our space where it's like, well, I don't want to use a scare tactic. And I don't, mm. I, I'm honest, I don't know what a scare tactic is because if it's a truthful thing, then why would we afraid of telling that? But I see so many chiropractors or other doctors, health practitioners that are scared to tell somebody. And I think that's a depth of understanding what the actual objective findings are. So for instance, let me give you an example. Somebody comes in to see you, and, I, and I'm going to talk chiropractic because that's a little bit of space. Uh, if they have a, a, a joint malposition and lack of mobility, then, and you ask them very, What's going to happen if nothing is done? Like, like, reason why I asked that question is because I need Mary to know that she cannot make a lateral move. This is not in six months from now. This just stays the same. That's impossible. That is not even. That's not. That's not. That by the best evidence in the world supports that. That's not. That's not normal, right? So it's always going to get worse. That's based on scar tissue and heat and the science of, of you know a, a mobility point space so that's the stuff i get i get fired up about because now we we can use this loss of versus cognitive bias to our advantage knowing the psychology but, but more importantly knowing what's best for them and knowing the decisions they're going to make they're going to try to rationalize themselves out of it versus realizing this is what's going to happen you can't make a lateral move here mary like, like it's not going to stay the same it's really going to get better uh, unfortunately, well, you know, fortunately for you, I'm glad you're here. Glad it's not what happened to you. So, same thing if you're a functional psychopath, you know, you have objective findings. By the way, you have to have objective findings. Science of selling wellness requires you to get out of the, the, the realm of symptoms, right? And so, somebody may have some sort of autoimmune condition, and you're looking maybe at vitamin D levels, you're looking at you know, blood sugar levels and whatever other elements you test. So there's got to be objective findings that you're committing them to. You're committing to them to changing those objective findings, not getting rid of their symptoms. And when you marry them to those, now you, 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 you um, t uh, move your hands away from actually having to be so tied to their symptoms, and you actually get them to realize this is what we have control over. But by the way, Eric, you do nothing about these vitamin D numbers, right? What's going to happen? And so this is where you allow them to say, well, I want to avoid that loss. I don't want it to get worse. Now, you have to be very confident and, and, and very competent and certain about what the findings are, what they mean, and what truly is going to happen to you. That requires, as a doctor, as an expert, as a practitioner, to really own your space and own your evidence and own your science. And again, that's where, uh, for me, my head works that way. So I, I get tired of that. Yeah, I love it. It kind of reminds me, um, a number of years ago, I read a book, um, it'll come to me, what is Kelly McGonigal, who's a psychologist. And she was talking about the interesting thing about wellness. When And if you think of this, it's the same for me, and I'm sure it is for all of you. When you imagine your future, you know, you, you imagine your future and you're exercising and you're eating great and you're getting the right amount of sleep is that we're always going to start tomorrow. 
And so the challenge of trying to sell into a wellness future is that we're already doing it. You know, so perhaps the reason I'm not going to go and get that, you know, you said I have to go and get $2.30 as opposed to that, oh, I've got plenty of money tomorrow. Why would I have to do that? But that loss side of things and the way that we kind of imagine our future, and I love that concept of paranoid optimism for what's going on inside us, paranoid pessimism for what's happening kind of outside of us as, as, as well. And, you know, I, I want to also then just double click and reaffirm the two. It, it's not scare tactics when it's the truth. Um, you know, th that's, that's what you said that was so beautiful there too. And sometimes we have to be, we have to stop and be present in our space um, and, and let people really know, you know, what are the consequences of their life decisions and how can we help them, um, you know, and again, the decision is finally theirs, but we need to give them all the information in terms of making the decision um, as, as, as well. So Angus, let me, let me, let me double down on that just for a second here, because I'm also, I'm also not a proponent of being extreme. Like I, I don't know, I could support one of the reasons why I'm so drawn to the science. Cause I have been around the guys like, you know, just say it this way or do it this way. And, and it's borderline extreme. It's not borderline. It, it is extreme. And I'm saying, Hey, listen, uh, we don't have to be extreme. Like, because notice when I say that as a chiropractor, like I have all the evidence to support why, uh, you know, why, a spine that's not moving or aligned appropriately, why that influences the central nervous system and why that influences neurological mechanisms and actually leads to functional deficits. But I don't know what that means for an individual because everybody, it's different. So I'm never going to tell somebody this is going to cause something or I'm worried about a certain disease or condition. I'm staying in my lane knowing my objective findings. Here's what I do know, Mary, is that joint that doesn't move well, that will break down and here's the process, scar tissue, adhesions, and here's the 2004 and 2010 study. These are the states that back it up and just will slow on the fact that we got to, you know, we have gravity active on us and you're sitting at a job. These are all factors that tell me without a shadow of a doubt, I'm not trying to get you to do something out of, out of sheer, just the fact that I'm, I'm trying to persuade you because it's a, my, my business. No, it's because I care for you and I don't want this to happen to you. And here's what I know will. So if you're a natural health practitioner, you've got to know your objective findings, what lane we need to stay in so you don't have to be extreme you just like you said so well it is just tell, telling the truth and being really confident with that yeah and this it, it comes back again because you know we started this conversation about authenticity so if you don't you know because sometimes i've heard different practitioners talk about look the means justify the ends look you, you know just tell them what you have to tell them because we need to get them under care because that'll and, and i go that's dogma and that's really dangerous like it's really dangerous thinking for us to head down that path. And the, you know, the truth is out there. You know, there was a whole show all about it there too, you know, but it is there. And then when you can communicate that with authenticity as, as well. And so sometimes, you know, sometimes people come to me for marketing advice and I'll go, look, not yet. You don't, you don't understand your product yet. Like, what are you trying to sell? And when I, you know, and it's also, um, sometimes it's, it's, a little naive for us to talk about chiropractic or healthcare as a product, but it is. But if you don't have certainty in around it, if, you, if then nothing else will work because there won't be authenticity in your message. That you won't be able to communicate it properly. All of those kind of things there too. So, I love this message. And you, and you said this, Angus. I want to I, I, to angle back around when you initially said, "Hey, where do people get that passion from?" When I talk about this loss aversion, right? And I said I would angle back to that. What I believe is that if whatever objective findings that so so let's just say you're a naturopath and you have a specialty in autoimmune uh, you have some objective findings and and, and where, where i go about this is there's a certain passion you have and, and let me just 
as an example would be that maybe you saw yourself or you had a loved one or somebody you cared about went through this and you and you realize that they were they were led down a path that you thought that that could have been avoided they didn't have to do this or they they got this and they had this cut out and they didn't need this right whatever that is i believe that we all have that story or that reason why and it has everything to do with this loss aversion meaning if they don't if if these patients and people in front of you practice members if they don't do what you're telling them is the problem then you have a deep seated heartfelt compassion to help them because you know what's at the end of it for them what, what what will be different if they don't do it and what will be different if they do do it and that's your heart coming out to me that's where our passion is drawn from like if, if you say where do you get your authentic passion well what would happen if they don't do it and if you own your objective findings like you said if you own and you're clear on what your you know a uh, uh, calling is and what your um your specific messaging and what your value specific value is to that to that person then you can you can you can speak from that place that i don't want them to end up at a place that they don't know, and, and unfortunately, I'm the expert here. I'm the I'm the leader here. I'm I'm uh, uniquely gifted or or you know called to do this, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna that, that to me what is what spawns passion passion for another human being that they don't have to go down a road that either you or you've seen others suffer with. Man, I, that's just so relevant to me to wear that on your sleeve. It's okay. Yeah, right, mm -hmm. right now, the message that cut like a knife is the ones that are real and true and authentic in, in a story. Like there's a story behind it. So, without going too deep there, I wanted to circle back there. I think that the passion ultimately comes from our heart to serve, to help another human being in our unique or specific calling. Yeah, Dan, I don't think you can go too deep on that. You know, all the great things that we have seen done, you know, throughout history are people acting on behalf of other people, that we do so much more. You know, you, you see a, 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 you know, a mother who's uh, had difficulty giving up smoking and gets pregnant and stops straight away. You know, she hasn't been able to stop for her, you know, or, or a father for that same kind of thing there too, is that we do, uh, you know, so it, uh, my naturally, my ideal life would probably be being sitting in that chair over the corner there and reading a book all day. I, I love that. And a lot of this stuff doesn't come naturally to me. But you know what? I'm, I'm more passionate about finding ways to help practitioners reach out into the community and become the community influencer that their community so desperately needs that it gets my bum up out of that chair and puts me in an uncomfortable position. And, and it happens more days than not. It's, it, it's, I've given up the idea that it will disappear. Um, I just deal with it and I move forwards anyway. And I'm happy to do it because I'm way more passionate about this than I am about sitting in the chair, you know, reading a book as, as, as well. And I think that's damn important. It's what underpins great marketing. It's what underpins great, you know, communication, whether it be inside our practices or whether it be outside our four walls where we're, you know, trying to talk to a, a larger audience as well. So we've talked about images. We've talked about loss aversion. Where do we go from there? Well, I, I, uh, so images, loss aversion, I, I'll put two more on there and just to kind of um, get, get minds starting to think about how you can better, you know, improve your messaging, right? Whether, again, you're on a podcast, whether you're on doing a report of findings, whether you're out marketing your message, um, and, and that's, uh, there, was a, there was another psychologist that I've referenced uh, uh, a lot lately. His name is Damasio. And Damasio said this, he said, we are not thinking machines that feel, we are feeling machines that think. And obviously his point there is emotion is at the core of what drives our uh, actions. And so, again, part of the primal brain, <clears throat> part of that primal brain is the emotion center. So, and some, some actually psychologists will break it up into three parts. 
uh, the neocortex, the, the, the midbrain, which is the emotional center, and then the primal brain. But, but as of late, the experts have basically just said the primal brain does consist of that midbrain that is actually emotional center. So, Again, why does this, this matter to us as a practitioner and getting their message across is you've got to speak to their emotions just as much as we're speaking to the, rep, you know, the reptilian brain. So how would you do that? Well, one of the keys, and you've heard this before, um, and that is to tell stories, right? But I like to, again, I think the best way as practitioners that we tell stories is through testimony. So you, can, you cannot use enough testimony, right? Use relevant testimonies. I love to use skeptical. I love to use, because people are relating, right? I'm sitting here on this podcast and I squeeze my star up and I'm like, let me you share the story that I knew. You were born in a medical, really strong medical family. Like I had, I, I didn't have one set of tubes put in my ears. I had two sets of tubes put in my ears. I had my tonsils taken out at nine years old. I was, at, you know, a, a model of the, and my parents are loving great parents, right? doing with what they had and the resources they had and the understanding they had. So I say that because somebody can relate to that and say, oh, he's just like me. Right, our story matters, and that's what really connects us with other people. And then when it comes to actually selling our care or selling loss or persuading somebody, the more they can recognize, ah, I'm like that person. I was trying to get, I have a friend that was trying to get pregnant, and they've tried everything, or they were had a thyroid condition, and they've been on all the drugs, and they didn't want that, or whatever it may be, testimonies strike the heart of emotion, again, goes to the decision maker, which is the right So that's number three, and then the three one I'll say is, um, which I need to be very cognitive of is um, keep the message simple. Don't we all? They say speak to an eighth grader. Yeah. If it's on an eighth grade, you're too much. And I am so guilty. Uh, my little analytical kind of geeky brain says if I can rationalize, uh, if I could just if I can just speak to him long enough. But what I realized here's the thing, and what I realized why I'm so fired up and excited about this message is what I realized is my rational side of my brain that I thought I can just rationalize them into it. It was my process of trying to do that the trust because they could see, huh? He's knowledgeable. He's certain about what he does. Passionate, and that reached their primal brain. And so. It's not the words. In fact, words, we, we haven't had language as long as we've had this reptilian brain, right? That people say, like, it, it, not used words. Words will not do it. That's clear. And the reason where this comes from, by the way, is the reason why, again, another reason I geek out on this is because all the studies done on reaching the primal brain were objective findings. Brain fMRI scans, mm. uh, spectrometry, we've got 43 different uh, muscles in the face, and how they respond to different messages. They, they've analyzed all this, heart rate variability, skin galvanics, how we respond to messages. Because if you talk to the market and consumers, they'll tell you one thing, but it's not necessarily what they actually mean. This, this information that we know in terms of the science of persuasion, all objective. It's how we respond as humans to messaging. And we did all the tests. They did the eye test. They did the face test. They did uh, HRV, galvanic, and, and brain scan, MRIs. That's where it's like I could go on for days and days and days. So I hope those four key things, again, if you're going to start, those would be images, loss of words, and stories and testimonies and keeping it simple. Yeah. So I want to see, Dan, I want to have a go and see if we can work at something together. Let's just say that I want to share a message with my community uh, and I'm being a chiropractor myself. Um, we're going to shoot a little video uh, and that we want to see if we can evoke some of these kind of principles that we've talked about as, as well. So I, I would, I wonder, let me kind of uh, riff with this too. The, the fact that you've chosen to shoot a video where there are images involved in that as opposed to kind of, a, uh, you know, just even audio like this, that the part, some of you might be listening to the podcast or just a blog. 
So that's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about video and, and our practices making videos because automatically there are images inside there. But let's say we're gonna have a, uh, a video about the impact that forward head posture has uh, on your health and, and well-being. So rather than you just making a video and talking about that too, can you have images of someone with a forward head posture? Let's show somebody what that actually looks like as well because that'll be easier for them to understand as well. In terms of that loss aversion, this would be a good time to talk about, you know, what is the impact that forward head posture has? Dan kind of touched on joints not moving properly, all that kind of thing there too. But if we want to bring emotion into it too, my experience is this. It, when we're talking about something like forward head posture, one of the strongest drives is people wanting to just get away from the aesthetic of how ugly it looks when you start to get that dowager's hump across the back, particularly you know, many of our female audience. And I say that with great sensitivity from there too. But you can say, hey man, look, this forward head posture decreases, you know, brain function, you don't breathe as well, you don't live as long. We see this in older people, all that kind of stuff there too. And, and that engages people. But when you say, you know what, it's also what gives that ugly hump across the back. Often it's that, excuse me, that ugly hump that drives people there because we're, you know, we're talking to emotions in that part as, as well. Now, last bit I want to pop on here too. Here in Australia, most of our registered health practitioners can't use testimonials. But I wonder this, that if we've got a case study that we said, look, I, I can't tell you, I, I'd, I'd be cheeky about this too. And I would say, I can't tell you about the hundreds of success stories I've got from this. My registration board won't let me. But I want to read here from a really quick testimonial that was actually published in JMPT or something like that, a case study, where you could share some of the stories inside of that as, as well. Are there other things that we've missed out that we could layer in a video like that to make sure we kind of hit on those four influence factors? I, I, you nailed it. I would say even you can even take it a little bit further, uh, even like a reason why, like like have a have have your phone in there and say, here's one of the reasons why this because now you're staring at your phone because it gives them a connection. One of the things we also know is this attachment education. If you can attach something that they're unfamiliar with with something they're familiar with, they're more likely to actually engage with it. They were like, well, I don't. I don't really have bad, I don't have any reason why I would have bad posture. Then you start to look at your phone and you refer, reference a study, 2015, a neurosurgeon came out to show that 45%, you know, is where most of us text or read our phone. And that puts an extra 45 pounds of pressure and stress. So, so yeah, you add that and then you talk about uh, gravity active on us. But one of the other key elements, even while you're saying it, I could tell you kind of come alive with it, is... If you're going to, because content is king right now, you know, you know that you, you speak of it more than anybody and better than anybody. Here's what, what I would tell you about content. Pick the content that brings, that, that, that you get excited about because yeah. that authentic passion that's going to come from behind. So for me, when I talk about forehead posture, I actually like, because what drives me is I actually go the opposite. I'm like, nobody wants to be looking the way that, you know, a, a bad posture makes you look cosmetically. It just, it makes you, and then, and then you eventually gets, it gets worse in the heads. You know, somebody that's older and their head forward like that. It's like, that happens over time. But to me, then I add on top of that, here's what I want you to know. One thing that fires me up or gets me excited and passionate about what we do is when we actually can address this without the use of drugs or surgery, here's what, I, here's what I know. It literally starts to change the oxygen to the brain, the ability for you to take a big breath in, for the ability for your all aspects, your central nervous system and autonomic system. And this is the, so for me, that's what brings me alive. I just, I say that to say, that may not be for you, what brings you alive and what content actually makes you really, really fired up. That's what people are gonna feel from you to get to that reptile brain. Ah, uh, 
Dan, I get the feeling that uh, we could probably talk for hours, but, um, I, you know, I feel like I say this, not, not often, but, you know, I, I would hope that we could perhaps have a round two with this because you just, there's so much depth inside of this um, as, as well. And I think for our listeners, this is going to be a two or three time listen over to really think about, you know, how do I add those? Where do I add images into my communication, whether I be talking one-on-one with patients as, as well? this concept of loss aversion, speaking in emotion stories. We love stories. Um, you know, I know Dan's background story. I've heard him say it before, but I was just as engaged this time around as before. We go into story mode, my brain just kicks in, I relax there, I start to take it all on board there as, as, as well. And in the principle of this last uh, one you talked about too, keeping the message uh, uh, you know, tight with there as well. We'll wind this up today. So if our audience wants to follow up with you, where do they find you? Where's the best spots for people to kind of connect with you outside this podcast? Uh, well, it's an honor, buddy. I, I, uh, I'm pretty easy to find on Facebook. I've got a couple of Facebook uh, channels, Dan Sullivan DC, and, and I've got a, a professional page. Uh, if you're a chiropractor, I've got my, my chiropractic kind of site is chiropracticadvocate.com. Uh, and if you're a, 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 if you're a chiropractor or another health practitioner, I have a um, health, it's called healthbusinessbuilders.com. And that's some of the tactics that we talked about today, how to better communicate a message, uh, how to grow and scale your business if you're stuck. And so some of the, the areas that I've been working in. So, Yeah, great. I'll make sure I have all of those links um, underneath the show notes here as well. So buddy, Dan, on behalf of the, uh, you know, marketing your, pra- marketing your practice podcast, I really should have chosen a name that was a bit more simple than that too. I get that mumbled up more times than not there too. Buddy, thanks for you do. You're saving lives each and every day. And, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan. I appreciate everything that you do. And I look forward to hopefully sooner rather than later catching up again in person. Yeah. And Angus, let me, let me just say this. I, again, a reason why we could talk for days and I know, and I'd love it to do another one of these um, and then also kind of break bread with you sometime when I get back over there. I, uh, I really appreciate your intellect. I think that you're a cerebral guy as I am. And I think that we and I, I think in today's landscape, I don't think I know that if, message, if our message is going to get across, we have to come with a level of not just, hey, rah, rah, and it's got to be a depth. There's got to be a depth, and few people have the depth, and when I sat in a room with you a year ago, I just I could sense the depth, and now it's just following up with that. So I just appreciate all you do. More from you is always a good thing, so I appreciate you, brother. Dude, a big virtual hug coming from uh, Aussie all the way over to US, buddy. Thanks again for joining the show. I look forward to seeing you soon. See you, man. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you have to come and check out the Community Influencer Program. It's my monthly coaching program where we take all this material and I'll work one-on-one with you to apply, implement, systematize, and help guide you and your practice to the next level. Now, you can join me on over at adiomedia.com forward slash join. That's adiomedia.com forward slash join. I'd love to see you in there.